Oh, Paul. Hand me those marshmallows. I want to make some s'mores. Whose idea was it to go camping in December? This is ridiculous. Well, it's Friday the 13th. You have to go camping on Friday the 13th. Why is that again? This doesn't seem like a good idea. Because if we don't go camping on Friday the 13th, how are we going to talk about Friday the 13th, 4, 5, and 6? You're right. You're right. That'll make a great follow-up to the last Grolic Cinematic Universe Friday the 13th special in which we talked about parts 1, 2, and 3. That's right. We talked about when Jason was born. So this time we get to talk about, like, teen angst Jason. Jason's hit adolescence. Now he's starting to come into his own, but he's real emo about it. And the directors weren't sure about him either. <laughs> yes, that is quite apparent. Well, you know what? That's a good idea. We'll talk about some Jason movies around this campfire while we try not to freeze to death the week of Friday the 13th of December. Hey, how can we freeze? We have a nice lake for ice skating. We have a fire. And we have a killer somewhere in the woods. What was that? Quick! Let's get out of here. We need to go to GrawlixPodcast.com. It's G-R-A-W-L-I-X Podcast.com and check out the Grawlix Cinematic Universe Friday the 13th Special Part 2 coming up in December. I'll be joined by special guest co-host Paul of Moose's Monster Mash and we're going to talk about Friday the 13th Part 4, 5, and 6. You know, when the series really started to... It just really started to get real good. On second thought, I'm just going to sit here and wait for Jason to come. of the show that knows that the only difference between a young and an old Oliver Queen is the strength of his arrows. I'm Moose the Monster Masher, and I have the opportunity to sit down and pick the brain of one of today's heavy hitters in comics. Jack of all trades in the business, and in my opinion, a future legend in the industry, my friend Mr. Phil Hester. Hey Moose, how's it going? Doing pretty good. How you been, Phil? Oh, working too much, but that's sort of the that's sort of the name of the game in comics. You you have to work too much to make a living. Well, if you're not working, you're not making money, so Right. Yeah, you got to produce. No matter no matter what you've done in the past, you've uh, you've got to be working toward the future and you've always got to be looking for that next gig and gigs overlap, so there's a lot of times in your life when you're working on like five projects at once. And this is one of those times. So you're actually <laughs> my break. Talking to you is actually my break for today. That seems to be how it works at conventions too. Yeah. Cuz I mean, I, are- I am a uh, self-professed Hester groupie. <laughs> well, you're a pro too. You set up at these shows too. You're a pro. Thank you for that. That means a lot. And when I need to get away, I come over, I see you, and we sit down and shoot the bowl. And this time yeah. I get to record it. Yeah, we, we, we get to bore multiple people instead of just you and me. <laughs> no, I think people will be entertained. Hopefully. And if not, we'll send them to Sparta. <laughs> down the well. Are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> I do want to get to uh, the new series family tree but you know since i have you i would be remiss if i didn't get to a few other sure uh points first i mean your body of work i mean you you've worked on some okay let's face it 
some unknown guys like you know Green yeah. Arrow, and Flash. And so I mean, <laughs> not many people know who these are, do yeah. they? Struggling upstart characters that we hope will finally get it, find an audience one day. But I mean, yeah, what's it like working on? You know, I mean, th- these are iconic characters in the business. Yeah, I've I've been doing this for like thirty years now, and I think the one of the best things about it is when I sit down to like today, I was working on a wonder woman story and you know, I still like, I still have moments where I'm like, Oh man, I'm working on wonder woman, you know, or, Oh, this is incredible. I'm drawing captain America. You know, there I'm still got a, like a direct connection to the 12 year old. I was when I started, you know, when I was really started collecting comics seriously and, uh, on these characters meant so much to me then. Um, it's cool that at 53, those characters can still touch me and, and still fill me with just a little bit of reverence, you know, not, I mean, not, <laughs> I don't take it too far, but um, I still realize how important they are to a lot of people. And um, I realize that the stories I'm doing are just like another leg in this, this long relay marathon where we hand off these characters from one generation to another and uh, getting to run my little leg of that marathon um, still feels important to me. And it's, uh, it's fun. Well, I mean, it's nice to know you still kind of get starstruck as it were for some of these characters. What I want to talk about in particular, uh, flash season zero. Yeah. Uh, You were the writer and the penciler for that one. Am I correct? I wrote one. I wrote one story, but mostly I penciled it. Okay. So I drew it for about a year, and I wrote one. And it was a digital first. I mean, it did come out on paper, and it's out in a trade paperback that you can probably get through your comic shop even today. Um, yeah, but I have it hanging on my wall. There you go. Uh, but it was a digital first, which meant we did two ten-page stories per issue, and per quote-unquote issue. You know what I mean? And uh, those were released digitally first before they came out on paper. So I got to write one of those short stories and draw it. And I'm really proud of that job. Uh, But I'm also uh, was excited to get to draw it for so long. Um, And the writers of the book were mostly uh, producers on the show. So at least um, at the beginning of that book, a lot of the ideas were ideas they wanted to do on the show but either were too expensive or too far out to do on the show. So we tried them out in the comics first. And then thankfully the show became a big hit and they could afford to do all those wild ideas. So it was kind of, we were sort of their training wheels for a while. <laughs> well, I was, I was wondering, you know, how that worked. Cause you know, it was basically the, uh, prequel to the series. Yeah. And- that's why we called it season zero instead of season you know, 1.5 or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so how does the story come about? It's like, do they, do you get an outline for that? Do you get, you know, or do they just say, okay, here's where we went. Don't deviate from this. (laughs) Right. Well, like I said, the writers were the producers of the show. So they knew what was going on. Um, They knew what they were going to cover in the show and what they, you know, weren't going to cover in the show. And uh, so it was it was kind of like fully integrated into the show lore because it was the same people creating both. Um, the only problem for me was visually we were drawing that comic before the show was out. And so 
a lot of the time we were basing like what sets and characters and especially the flash costume we were basing what those looked like on like grainy cell phone pictures that the producers were sending us while they were still putting the show together <laughs> um, so that's why like the first couple of issues of flash season zero like the costume looks a lot more like kind of the clunky firefighter costume from the pilot than the show than you know the more streamlined costume that as the show went on it's because all we had to go on was some stills from the pilot nice uh do you have a uh, favorite character that you work on i mean you, you oh yeah i mean so it's, many so yeah it changes from it changes all the time but i'd say probably the most consistent one is swamp thing I, I love that, to. That's my favorite. Yeah, I love the first commission I got from you. <laughs> right, you're a smart man. I happen to. I love drawing Swamp Thing, and I've loved it since I was, you know, ten years old and saw my first Bernie Wrights and Swamp Thing comic. Okay. And um, uh, it was sort of like, and it was like my first big assignment at DC, and I, I really probably wasn't ready for that assignment, but I didn't care because I was just so excited to do it. Um, and I'm lucky that today I get to return to that character in a way, um, but not drawing it. I'm actually, um, uh, writing some, some short stories for the Swamp Thing giant that comes out in, in Walmarts first and then in comic shops a couple months later. Wait, that comes out so, in Walmart first? Yeah. So all the giant, all the DC giants, those hundred page giants that they're putting out now, um, they, uh, last year they did a program where they were just Walmart exclusives and it was pretty cool. And it, it got a lot of people like starting reading comics that, that maybe people that wouldn't necessarily go into comic shops. So like if you go to like the Pokemon or baseball card section of a Walmart, there was like a little shelf of these giant DC books. And of course, retailers weren't happy about that <laughs> because <laughs> they wanted to be able to sell them in their stores too. And they didn't want their fans going somewhere else for comics. Um, so DC kind of reacted to that. So they make this year, they're making all those DC giants available in comic shops a couple of months after they're in Walmarts. So uh, if you miss it in Walmart, you'll still be able to get it in your local comic shop. Or if you want the collector version, yeah. you get it at the comic shop. Or and, and here's how they get you. There's a different cover for each one. Oh. So, so the real hardcore people are going to Walmart and the comic shop. Nice. Because, yeah, my personal favorite is Swamp Thing. And then right behind that is uh, the Hobo series you and I are working on. <laughs> yeah. For, you should explain to people what that's all about, Bruce. Uh, you know, it started with uh, Hobo Arrow from – it was Kevin Smith's Green Arrow, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. And the first couple issues of our Green Arrow run in Quiver. Yeah. Um, uh, Oliver Queen has lost his memory and is like this kind of homeless Green Arrow, but he's still kind of driven to be Green Arrow. So he's like this kind of hobo DIY version of Green Arrow. And at I think it was Grand Comic Con last year. Mm-hmm. I had you draw a hobo Flash to go with him. Yeah. And now it's okay. Now I just want to do the Hobo Justice League. <laughs> Well, and at then, this point, I want to get the whole collection. <laughs> you know what happened? Somebody saw me drawing that hobo flash. And then now other people ask me for homeless superhero sketches all the time. Jeez, 
so it's become it's become kind of a a little mini sensation. So I've since then I've done like Hobo Batman, Hobo Superman. It's it's crazy. And you started it all. That's awesome. That, that, that's that's great. Now if you know DC picks it up and runs with it, I want you know a nod. You want, you get a piece of the action. I don't care about a piece of the action. I just want a nod. <laughs> we'll make you the villain. I'm okay with that. You can be Hobo Lex Luthor. Yay! Actually, that, that, that's almost better than a piece of the action. Yeah, you're, you'll be immortalized in the actual book. Do you have a favorite uh, inker that you work with? Because, I mean, I know you and Andy uh, Parks work a lot together. Yeah. You and uh, Eric work a lot together. Yeah. I would say, um, yeah, Andy Parks is somebody we sort of boy outside of my marriage it's probably one of my longer relationships we've we've been working together since i was like right out of college so 21 22 years old and uh we sort of recognized that we were kindred spirits when we were still kind of amateur artists and uh we sort of grew up together and like developed our styles together and He's the guy who inked me on Green Arrow. He's the guy that inked me on Ant-Man, uh, Nightwing, all sorts of gigs. And we really have a similar aesthetic, and we're really good friends, and we we love so hanging out. You guys out. have a really good in-life, in-real-life chemistry together, like when you're you know in person with each other. Yeah, I think a lot of people think we're a couple. <laughs> <laughs> well, after 21 years, I mean. Yeah, in a way. Uh, but... Um, uh, no, we're just really good friends, and uh, he's a large part of why I find working in comics for so long rewarding is the relationships I develop with people um, like Andy that, I, that I'm that i sure would survive. If comics disappeared tomorrow, uh, Andy and I would still be friends, and that that's one of the most rewarding things about comics. But a couple years ago... Um, Andy's also a writer for anybody who doesn't know that he's written some amazing books like, um, Capote in Kansas and Union Station and Ciudad. Um, Which, and please go check out cause they are amazing. Yeah. And Ciudad, uh, is something he wrote with the Russo brothers, you know, the Russo brothers and, um, it recently got adapted as a, as a film for Netflix, um, with Chris Hemsworth in the title role. Um, oh, Andy's doing big things. Yeah, like he's he's big time to me. Anyway, because he had so much writing work pop up and he enjoyed it so much, he kind of stepped back from inking a little bit, at least on a regular basis. So I either had to start inking my own stuff or find somebody else that could ink me. And there's no way in hell I'm making my own stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at it. Um, so I was lucky enough. There's a young man named Eric Gapster who. I'd known since he was a, a college student and who actually grew up in a small town not too far from my small town. Well, I, was back, say, I didn't think he lived that far away from you. No. In fact, we're in the same – like in high school, we're like in the same football conference. I found out that um, he wrestled in high school, so he was probably wrestling against teams that my brother had coached. Um, but uh, when he went to Iowa State, uh, he had a comic strip there. And I do signing, you know, I do signings in all the local comic shops. And for the people that don't know, I'm in Iowa. So um, I pretty much go all around the state, nearby states, and I kind of know most of the retailers around here. 
And I did a signing at Mayhem Comics in Ames, Iowa, where Iowa State is, and um, had a long conversation with Eric there and knew he was a talented artist in his, in his own right. And I thought, well, maybe this, when Andy stepped back, I thought maybe I could convince Eric to ink me. And at, at one point in his, you know, as he was showing me his portfolio, as he was coming up, um, I gave him some penciled pages um, for him to practice on. And, you know, they turned out really well. And I thought, well, this guy's ready for prime time and, and uh, asked him to uh, sort of slot into Andy's place. And he's, he's filled those shoes admirably. I say he was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was an inker over on uh, Flash Zero too, wasn't he? Yep. That was sort of our first regular gig together was um, Flash Season Zero. And now he's my inker on Family Tree, and yeah. uh, he's inked me on many things. But, but of course, <laughs> Andy, Andy still inks a little bit, so Andy keeps his hand in, and we we still work together on projects all the time. The saying, if you're lucky enough to get you guys both at the same convention, he'll link you at the convention. Yeah. Um. So since you've done essentially everything in the comic process, <laughs> uh, you, know, from, you know, from writing to, I mean, I, I don't think you've done self-publishing, but no. Luckily, I've always I've always found like smaller publishers that were willing to um, sort of take shots on all my weird ideas. So. I always had somebody else to kind of at least do the parts of the business that I'm not good at, which is dealing with, you know, distributors and production and retailers and crunching numbers and things like that, which are not my forte. Can, uh, can you take us through basically how you get from concept of idea uh-huh. to a uh, comic? Cause I mean, oh. okay. If say I had, okay, let's use our hobo series for, example okay you know how, how would how would we turn that into a comic well i it's hard for me to say because every project is so different like it's almost like it's almost like you never learn anything <laughs> <laughs> because like every or at least here's what i have learned it's like almost like raising a child like you think like oh i know how to raise kids i had a kid before and the second kid's totally different you know um, and the third kid's totally different. Uh, and so far in comics, I've had dozens and dozens of children and they've all been different. Um, they all find their way out of my head and onto the page and into a reader's hands in different ways. But I think the number one rule for all of them is if I get an idea and it doesn't, it doesn't leave me alone, it means I'm probably going to make it someday. Even if it's 10 years from now, two months from now, 20 years from now, it's going to sort of like eat at me until I give in and create it. And that's, it's been that way since I was like 18 years old. There are books, there are books that I'm, there are pitches that I'm working on now that I got the idea for when I was a teenager. And I'm a 53 year old man now because once an idea, if an idea sticks with you, it means there's something to it. And you you uh, kind of owe it to the idea and to yourself to like get it out there. But uh, as far as how it gets out there, um, like I said, it's different for every project. Some I feel like I'm supposed to draw. Uh, some I feel like I'm not the right artist for. So I start hunting for an artist. And then after developing the project, you've got to find the right publisher. It's got to fit into their publishing plan. Uh, and it's got to hit at the right time. Like 
Uh, I think you can ask any creator. A lot of the times what they feel is their best book is a book that doesn't connect with anybody. And sometimes the book that they do that connects with a bunch of people, they don't, you know, they thought was just like a little one-off, you know, but it blew up and became something important to a lot of people. Yeah. You just don't know. So all I do know is, you know, the, I, the only way to guarantee an idea is not going to work is to not do it, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, so like if, if the so idea the only is, bad idea is the ones not pursued. <laughs> right. So like if, if you care about it, uh, you need to execute it one way or another and let it either live or, you know, live and die in its own merits. Um, but you have to try to do it. Interesting. So that was a kind of a philosophical <laughs> answer to your nuts and bolts question. Um, but by and large, you have to, you sort of have to do the book. You can't, like I meet, a, I meet dozens and dozens of people at every comic book convention who have an idea for a comic and they have notes for a comic, but they don't have a comic. Um, if you really care about an idea, you'll start making it whether you have a publisher or not. You know, that's sort of proof to the publisher that you believe in your idea, that you didn't wait, that you made it. Um, and that you're willing to follow through. And Right. Yeah. Like you like you like they they see if I see dozens of people, they see hundreds and thousands of people who want to tell them their idea for a comic, you know, and that doesn't that doesn't mean anything for them to them. They can't put out ideas. They have to put out comic books. So you have to show them that you can do the work. And that means making a mini comic or making a webtoon or self-publishing a one-shot. Something to show that you are serious about your idea. Cool. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I always figured, you know, you had to have some proof of concept. At, at least for, like, if you're doing something like a new project for, a, like, Marvel or DC – You'll you'll sort of already have proven yourself if you're working for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but if you're trying to pitch an idea to Dark Horse or Vault or Image, you have to have the project. Like you have to show them you can make the project, and the only way to do that is to start making it. Um, it's sort of like it's sort of like walking up to a record label and saying, "I have an idea for a song." Well, do you have a band? Yeah, they don't care about that. They want to hear, even if you're a songwriter, they want to hear the demo. Yeah. You know. All right, we're going to take a quick break for network identification, and when we come back, we will talk about Family Tree. Do you like to binge watch TV? Did you know you could binge listen to podcasts? Head over to electronicmediacollective.com, where they have podcasts for days. Do you like podcasts about wrestling? They have that. Do you like podcasts about TV and film? They have that. Do you like podcasts about horror? EMC has that too. Do you like comedy? Do you like books? Guess what? They've got you covered. Head over to electronicmediacollective.com. Pick your favorite podcast today. And we're back. So, Family Tree. Yes. All right. Series overview is when an eight-year-old girl literally begins to transform into a tree, her single mom, troubled brother, and possibly insane grandfather embark on a Get bizarre it? and heart-wrenching odyssey across the back roads of America in a desperate search for a way to cure her horrifying transformation before it's too late. Family Tree combines mystery, action, and horror into an epic story about the lengths a mother will go in order to keep her children safe. Whoever wrote that was on their game. Yeah. 
that was from I, th- I believe that was from the image website. Yeah, I think Im- yeah, somebody in in uh, uh, somebody in PR at Image wrote that, and they did a good job. I say yeah, that I, I really like the embark. <laughs> <laughs> I, to be honest, that went right over my head until I heard you say it. I read that I three times. I didn't even put two and two together there, but now I uh, I'm say, I, I've read through it three times and it just hit me. Yeah, just read through. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well played, image. I, well played. I am not deaf. I didn't hear. I didn't see that till I heard you say it. But yeah, yeah no, it's a, that's a pretty accurate description. It's um, uh, number one, the grandpa definitely is insane, <laughs> and. The first issue, as weird as it is, is the most normal tame issue of any of the ones I've drawn so far. Um, the book gets much darker, um, much deeper, uh, much more violent, and um, much scarier as we go along. I say this this book, you know, put out by Image Comics. It's written by uh, Jeff Dallin Lemire. Jeff Lemire. All-star artist team of yourself, Eric Gapster, and uh, Ryan Cody. Mm-hmm. Who did the cover art? Uh, me. Okay, that is creepy as hell. The guys who did the um, everybody who did the interior did the did the cover, and it's also lettered by Steve Wands, who um, letters all of Jeff's books. See, I, I was wondering because I couldn't find who lettered it. Yeah, Steve Wands, and uh, were edited by Will Dennis, who edits most of um, most of Jeff's indie indie projects. But yeah, the, the the cover art was creepy as hell. Yeah, we were dinking around for a long time trying to find the right cover, and um, that just hit me, and I was like, "Oh, I'm, I didn't like." I just banged it out. Like I I drew it in like twenty minutes, and well, I mean, it, it, it's a simple image. And for those yeah. of you who haven't seen it, it's it's this girl basically laying down. It's the top part of her head laying down upside down, and what should be her hair laying down are tree roots. Yeah. They're clear. And uh, it's on a black background with these white into red roots. Right. And it's just. Yeah, it's, it's a good image. It, to me, that, like when I work for Marvel in DC, um, I don't get to do my own covers most of the time. Most people don't. Um, Marvel and DC kind of break up the, the cover and interior gigs. And uh, Family Tree is one of the few times I get to do my own covers. And it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. Like every cover. Well, I think it speaks to the quality of the stories that every time I've been asked to whip up a cover for an issue, a really arresting image kind of leaps to mind right away. And um, yeah, there's a lot of haunting images to come. This cover really does encapsulate what the story is right yeah. off the bat. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a very simple image and not, not simple in, oh, a five-year-old drew oh, it's simple, but yeah. In that it, you don't need the the layered elements of a picture, right? To draw best, you in. I mean, it's yeah. You're looking for ideally when you're designing a cover, you're looking for something that's iconic. And, and this 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 will pull you in at least to be like, why is this girl part tree? And why is she upside down? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a, at least enough to get you to crack it open. Yeah, that's all we can ask for. And I think once you actually do crack it open and you start to read, um, you know, ostensibly it's a horror story, a body horror story. But what it's really about is this kind of family dynamic. You have this, you know, you have this 
semi-dysfunctional but clearly loving family. And you have this estranged grandpa who knows it's time to reinsert himself into this family's life. And you have this missing dad um, that we really don't know what happened to this dad. You'll find out in issue two, and it's not normal. (laughs) And it kind of deepens the horror and kind of fleshes out the grandpa story, Judd, and also kind of puts you in fear for what's going to happen to Meg, the little girl. Yeah, we'll see. And, you know, back with the cover, comics don't really follow the old adage, don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. They do. I mean, yeah, yeah. That really is your selling point. If it's got a bad cover. Yeah, it's tough to overcome that. Odds are it's not getting picked up. Right. It's tough. And what's weird about that is it really shouldn't matter as much because back when you and I (laughs) were young, I'm I'm way older than you, but like, Back when we were young buying comics, the the cover was the ad. Like you saw the cover and you're like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to grab it. But now we ask people to buy comics based on, you know, like a little postage stamp size preview of the cover that's in previews. Yeah. Um, Which is kind of which you'd think would diminish the importance of covers. And in a way, I'm sure it does. But um, if you can make something stand out on the racks you know, in the, in this sea of covers, if you can make something stand out and be noticed by people, um, you have a fighting chance of, you know, when, if a shop orders more than what was ordered, you know, by customers, uh, they're going to put what's left out on the stands and hopefully somebody passing by it will see it and sort of be taken in by it. Well, and I think that's why where we luck out that right now we seem to be in a body horror and horror in general, <laughs> comic uh, renaissance. Yeah, I think so. There's just so many good good horror comics out. I mean, good indie comics in general. You know, it's a great time to be a fan of non-Marvel and DC books. I mean, it's a great time to be a fan of all kind of comics. But, I mean, um, yeah, there's enough people not necessarily breaking away from the major two, but I- exploring the other brands that yeah. some of these other – I mean – I've now read, I think, nine different body horror titles this year alone. Oh, yeah. And, you know, including Swamp Thing, but, I mean, that I've been reading Swamp Thing my whole life. So I don't really count that as a new one. You know, the fact that it's getting, you know, that genre is getting new works is astounding to me. Well, I mean, comics is one of the places where we can do it and it doesn't cost a fortune, you know. Even in this age of like um, computer graphics, it would cost a ton to make a movie about a little girl turning into a tree. Yeah, you know. Um, but all it cost me is like an afternoon of drawing. You know? How much were you able to pull from uh, previous uh, body horror works when you were drawing on this? Well, I uh, what what makes this book work for me in terms of body horror is that it lends to my style. Um. It, my own natural kind of artsy style is a little bit scratchier and high contrast. So the idea of a little girl sort of getting covered in bark um, and growing like twigs out of her body and, you know, leaves out of her body, that sort of plays into my natural style. So um, it, that was a natural thing. And also I've had, you know, I've been drawing 
I drew Swamp Thing for three years. So plant people are not a new, you know, not a new topic for me. Well, and I was going to say, because, you know, there's there's a square in the comic where Meg has this uh, branch growing out of her back. Yeah. And I looked at it and I said, that's a Swamp Thing branch. <laughs> yeah. It's like just yeah. the way it was gnarled and right. gone, it's, that was a Swamp Thing branch. Yeah. And then, so yeah, I've, I've had experience drawing plant people, experience drawing horror books, and uh, so those two things sort of, thankfully, came together in this. Uh, and 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 you know, when I write my own kind of stories, Jeff and I both, I think, write. I don't think we write similarly, but we cover some of the same ground, which is we're both um, family men and we're both from rural settings so we tend to cover these kind of like uh isolated families that are dealing with strange things that's sort of a, a familiar topic for both of us so family tree sort of fits the bill for both of our fits right into both of our you know bodies of work well and then i noticed that and, and i called you out on this on twitter but on uh with the grandpa, you have a very distinctive beard style. Yes. Grandpa and stiff. Hobo Arrow have the same beard. I draw stiff beards. <laughs> it's like, as soon as I saw Grandpa, I was like, what's Hobo Arrow doing here? Yeah. No, I draw like beards that have obviously not been washed for a while. Yeah. And so, I mean, and a lot of it comes, and th this, this really is a testament to your work. If you... If you're a fan of somebody's work, you can start to notice, you know, the the similarities in their different projects. Little stylistic yeah. things, common threads, yeah. You know, and so, yeah, as soon as I saw the beard, I wouldn't even have had to see your name on the project. Yeah. Like, Yo, I saw the a, beard, I was like, oh, that's a Phil beard. That's a Hester hobo. You know, do you know how many issues this is set for, or is it just kind of open-ended at this point? It's kind of, you know, wherever the story's going to take it. Um Jeff has really good instincts about how long a story should run and when it should end. And um, uh, I think anybody that's a fan of his work, uh, well, the best example is Royal City, which is a book that he wrote, Andrew. And yeah. I think he intended to do it for a long time. But then he hit issue 13 and he's like, you know what? That's the end. You know, that's the good place to end it. I'm going to end it here. And I think you feel the same way about Family Tree. We'll keep doing it as long as there's story to tell. But we're not going to prolong it. Do you know what I mean? Like, Don't let it get stale. Right. Like if it hits its natural. Don't let the tree die. <laughs> right. We're not going to try to, you know, uproot it and transplant it. Uh, when, when it reaches its natural ending, uh, you know, Jeff's going to pull the plug. And thankfully, the first issue sold well enough that we're sort of, we're okay to continue as sort of as long as we want. And. I think, like I said, Jeff's got really good instincts about um, when to when to wrap a story up. So I'll play it. I'll just take follow his lead, and wherever when he's ready to stop, I'll stop. Yeah, I mean this thing this blew up all over social media after it came out. I mean, yeah, Jeff. Well, Jeff's a popular writer, man. <laughs> you know, and I mean, I know you were promoting it for months before it came out. Yeah. You know, up to and including the, no, you only get one cover. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you well, know, you but. know, I know what it's like for, 
I know, like I said, I know a lot of retailers and I know what it's like for them to sort of try to meet those thresholds to get those chase variants. And uh, like, God bless them. You know, those are fun books to get and uh, neat rewards to pursue for collectors. But we just wanted to sort of give retailers a breather and say, you know what? Everybody that orders this is going to get the same book. See, what you could have done was taken a highlighter and like every 500th book highlighted in the roots. Yeah, I know. Here's your golden ticket. Yeah, I know. Um, We're not that cruel. (laughs) Start a Willy Wonka buying craze. You'd really sell the books. We, we, we want we don't want buyers we want readers i think yeah. that's sort of the, that's sort of the mentality we have like we've been in the, both jeff and i have been doing this long enough that uh i mean while it's nice to make money and it's nice to win awards and things like that what we're really after is connecting with readers it's, it's better uh, to have an actual audience than yeah well yeah. And- it's like, I, I know that i know the people that i talk to at conventions like every convention I go to, I, I did a book in the 90s called The Wretch that never sold more than 5,000 copies. Like our highest selling issue is 5,000 copies. So it was not a hit. Okay. <laughs> but at every Comic-Con I go to, somebody talks to me about it, you know, like it was a, a comic that meant a lot to them. And a lot of them are people who are creators now. And that that sort of connection means more to me than... You know, you know, saying, you know, I got to, I got to draw, you know, Green Lantern during, you know, his fifteenth, like universe shattering crossover. You know, well, I mean, I mean, you and I talked stuff, about it at shows. I feel the same way about my wood burnings. It's right. the money's nice, but I'd rather, you know, somebody who really appreciates the work gets the yeah. product. You know, well, they're going to take it home, and it's going to become part of their home. Yeah. And um, so that, that's sort of the way I feel. I don't want to speak for Jeff, but that's the way I feel about the work I do today. It's fun to it's fun to work on superheroes, and it's fun to make a lot of money, but it doesn't match making a, a real connection with a reader. Yeah. What other horror books you're working on that you can talk? Are, are there any that you can talk about? Uh, I'm writing a science fiction horror book for Oni. Um, called Varuna that is going to come out. I don't know when because it's taking forever. Uh, I'm just writing it. Um, and the artist is a really super talented guy named Russell Rowling. And um, it'll be out whenever it's done because Russell's doing everything. Pencils, inks, colors. Um, so uh, who knows when it'll come out? I hope 2020. Um, but it's a neat kind of... Boy, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a cross between Alien and 2001. Like it's 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 a horror a horror book in space, but it's also got kind of weird existential themes to it as well. Interesting. And um I'm writing short stories for Swamp Thing Giant right now. Um uh, my first one's in issue number 2. Yeah, how much of that can you talk about? Uh it's out, so I can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm writing a uh, little eight page short stories um, that uh, the great Tom Mandrake is drawing. And um, they're just cool kind of classic swamp thing monster of the week kind of stories. Oh, nice. Like kind of harkening back to those Ween and Wrightson 
years. And um, that's been a joy because it's not often that you get to <laughs> a write a character that you used to draw 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And um, so that's been a lot of fun. And, oh, gosh, what else? Boy, if you're, you've got me – every time somebody asks me what I'm working on, I always forget something. Because <laughs> I'm working on too many things. Um, but, but I'm working – as far as horror projects go, I think those are the the main things I'm working on. Anything else you'd like to uh, promote? Oh gosh, well, on, it's not on the horror side of things, but um, uh, promote what you want to promote, man. You're the guest. <laughs> I'm drawing a short story for um, uh, Wonder Woman's uh, 750th anniversary issue. Oh lord. Um, I'm uh, boy. What else? I'm doing uh, boy. So much other stuff. Uh, I just had a trade paperback come out of a book called Stronghold that I did at at um, Aftershock. Um, I just had another short story come out from DC. Oh, that was a body horror story, um, a Martian Manhunter story that was in DC's last big Halloween special. Um, I need to pick that one up. I yeah, it's all oh, that'll it be right, that'll be right up your alley because it's about an alien that falls to Earth, but his body is decaying on Earth, so he keeps killing animals looking for a body that he can wear. Uh, and then he winds up finding a person. <laughs> nice. And so it's, it's Martian Manhunter's job to sort of hunt down this serial killer that keeps killing people and wearing their bodies. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's the goriest thing I've ever done for a mainstream DC book for sure. But yeah, I think that kind of covers what I'm working on. Uh, and then I know you're on Twitter. That's it. That's the only social media I'm on. You're just on Twitter. Yep. And I'm just at Phil Hester. So at Phil Hester on Twitter is where our listeners can find you. If they're not finding you at a local comic convention in the next upcoming seasons. Yeah. If you're in the Midwest, you'll probably stumble across me at a, at a local comic con. Here's hoping because I need me some hobos, man. More hobos. More hobos. Well, Phil, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat with me and uh, geeking out about comics today. Yeah, it was my pleasure, Miss. Greatly looking forward to more issues of Family Tree, the giant-sized swamp thing, and obviously more hobo heroes. <laughs> yeah. Until we uh, see each other again, once again, thank you for this uh, wonderful opportunity. And thanks for having me. It was a it was a lot of fun. It was it was just like catching up with an old buddy. And buddies will remain. Folks, that wraps up our special episode of Moose's Monster Mash. Hope you enjoyed our look at comics and specifically our look at Family Tree and our time with Mr. Phil Hester. And hey, guess what? A little bit of news. Moose's Monster Mash now has a Twitter page. Follow us at EMC Monster Mash and tell us what you think of the show. Give us some ideas for movies you'd like to hear other people talk about. Also... This week, head over to Electronic Media Collective. Check out the Grolic Cinematic Universe Friday the 13th special. I am appearing with my guest from last month, Mr. Randall Silvey, as we talk about Friday the 13th, 4, 5, and 6. Be on the lookout at the regular time this month on the 25th for this month's episode of Moose's Monster Mash. And remember, folks, it doesn't have to always be scary to be horror. Until next time, horror hounds, mash on.
Peace has been loose as Monster Mash. Come back for more chills and thrills if you dare. <laughs> And now it's time for Off the Cuff, Fun with Phil. Really, I just need a damn drink. <laughs> Same here. Give a long-winded answer and I've run out, of, run out of juice by the end. I'm doing pretty good. I haven't stumbled over my words too much yet. No, you sound professional, man. I, I, I'm ecstatic. This is the first one where I haven't stumbled a lot. Well, there's time. I know. <laughs> now we're getting into the comic. <laughs> <laughs> There's time. I trust you. I trust you'll find a way. If not, I clean it up and post. Yeah, there you go. Make me sound like an idiot and you sound like a stud and post. Oh, no. It usually goes the other go way back. around. You need to go back in and drop in some more ums and uhs for me. Yeah, no. It usually goes the other way around. Holy comics. How do you do that? <laughs> Gee, you make comics? Where do you get your ideas? You know how to draw? <laughs> you do that on computers? <laughs> What's well, a computer? You did that freehand? <laughs> that's, the, that's the one that always gets me. You did that freehand? I'm like, I don't know any other way to draw. I don't know. How. My favorite question that's been coming up a lot lately is, is that your work? Yeah. You sure yeah. you did that? You see me burning it. It's like, yeah, I'm positive. I, I have the carpal tunnel to prove it. Right. But yeah, that, that's been coming up a lot more at conventions. Did you do that? <laughs> Can you not smell the smoke? It's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and now, especially for Phil. Fun with Phil. In the style of the Rescue Rangers. Really, I just need a damn drink. <laughs> Give a long-winded answer and I've run out, of, run out of juice by the end. I'm doing pretty good. I haven't stumbled over my words too much yet. No, you sound professional, man. I, I, I'm ecstatic. This is the first one where I haven't stumbled a lot. Well, this time. I know. <laughs> now we're getting into the comic. <laughs> There's time. I trust you. I trust you'll find a way. If not, I clean it up and post. Yeah, there you go. Make me sound like an idiot and you sound like a stud and post. Oh, no. It usually goes the other go way around. Back. You need to go back in and drop in some more ums and uhs for me. Yeah, no. It usually goes the other way around. Holy comics. How do you do that? <laughs> Gee, you make comics? <laughs> where do you get your ideas? You know how to draw? <laughs> You do that on computers? <laughs> What's a computer? You did that freehand? <laughs> That's the one that always gets me. You did that freehand? I'm like, I don't know any other way to draw. I don't know. <laughs> My favorite question that's been coming up a lot lately is, is that your work? Yeah? You yeah. sure you did that? You see me burning it? It's like, yeah, I'm positive. I have the carpal tunnel to prove it. <laughs> right. But yeah, that's been coming up a lot more at conventions. Did you do that? <laughs> Can you not smell the smoke? It's like, Jesus Christ.